when something is mandatory, even if I support it, I kind of, it pulls the heckles on the back of my neck because I, I do think we need choice. You always need choices, options. So uh, we are going to end up with the ever more regulated world and the ever more libertarian world. But as long as the two can coexist, that's kind of okay in my mind. It's when one tries to say, well, the other won't exist. That's where you've got this polarization going on. And that's where you get conflict and that's where you get trouble. You're listening to Getting It Wrong to Get It Right. Gary Nuttall is an emerging technology consultant. He specializes in helping organizations explore and utilize data with emerging technologies such as blockchain. He is a sought after speaker and trainer delivering keynote speeches, workshops, and masterclasses. Gary, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure having you on. I look forward to chatting with you. Really want to touch on blockchain, want to touch on um, the digital currency that's facing our way. Um, There is a battle between people holding on to cash and governments and central banks uh, trying to push people in a direction that suits them. And whatever other way our conversation is going to meander, meander along the way. So um, I'm looking looking forward to uh, having this call with you. Joe, thank you, thank you very much for um, inviting me onto the programme. And I too looking forward to this. Some of the topics you talked about there, whether it be blockchain, crypto, government back digital currencies or whatever, we it does feel as though we are about to cross the point of no return with many of these things. So yeah, look forward to this. Yeah, and it, it's even, you know, there's globalism, there's, you know, there's, is like someone said to me the other day with all this, you know, blockchain and with technology streaming along, um, and then the digital currency, is there going to be the massive shift of wealth ever seen in history? Um, those who have and those who will not have have not and regulations and laws that are being put in people. And as someone said to me, it's like a boiling frog, a kitchen, putting a frog in cold water and turning it up, the frog won't move but it eventually will boil and i've said this many a time are we giving up our comfort are we giving up our freedom for um for control so you know the the comfort creatures we were shown more but we're actually giving up our freedom for that at the end of it at the day of it i'd kind of argue in a way that we're not giving up our freedom We've already given it up. It's just that we didn't notice it had happened. And when, when we look at many things now, whether it's the amount of um, surveillance cameras that are watching us or the amounts of extra effort that you have to go to to do a bank transaction, which, which in theory is for good intent, you know, the, the, the whole thing that Europe's introduced a whole raft of new regulations around payments, about secondary identity and verification and all this, and on the face of it, it kind of looks really good. It looks like it's to protect the consumer, you know, reduce fraud, and you, you hear all of these things. But like any other 
technology innovation, um, there are good ways of using things and there are not so good. And so in some ways, I think we've given up an awful lot of our privacy and security without even noticing it. And it is exactly to say, it's, it's for the convenience factor. Uh, we don't notice it. Yeah, you know, I listened to my mother, God rest her soul, and, you know, other people of who would be now in their 80s and 90s and say, oh, we had a better in our day. And you'd look at them and go, well, hang on, why would you have a better in your day? We've got cars now, we've got more control TV, we've got the internet. You know, they're not talking about those things because when you look back in your life, you don't remember your laptop or you don't remember, you know, the material goods. They were actually talking about freedom. Mm -hmm. And what's happening is nanny state or laws or regulations are really sort of pulling people towards a system that is no longer free. And in saying that, will there be a rise or will people just accept it? And I think that's the thing. And you bang on, you know, your banking. So if I want to put something through my bank, I have to wait for my phone to light up and it's authorization. Like I've said to me, I don't want my phone with me 24 seven. Why do I need, you know, a transhumanism piece of technology beside me to be able to do simple transactions? Well, it's one of those things that, and I kind of struggle in some ways because I sometimes describe myself as a digital native in an analog world which is kind of a variation on a theme of most people talk about them being analog and analog. But in, in some ways, I, I almost think of myself as being from the future because I actually seem, I, I feel quite comfortable with a lot of the technologies that are here now. And a lot of people in my age are getting quite worried. And I think it comes down to the, it's as you're saying, it's, it's the convenience factor and that kind of thing. So one of the things that does bother me is how we are inextricably linking the ability to pay for things with our identity. Okay, so if you go into a pub and they ask you for your ID because they have to make sure that you're over the age but to drink alcohol, all they should need to know is proof that you are old enough and that it's legal. What they don't need to know is what your passport is or what your driving license is. They don't need to know your date of birth. But the way that we tend to approach these things is to capture those, those pieces of information rather than, you know, is it legal for me to drink somewhere, yes or no? Uh, and that's a, a very different thing. And this is where it's interesting you're saying about um, things being free. The, the old joke in social media, you know, Facebook, Twitter, all this kind of thing, is when the product's free, that means you are the product. Yeah, And that's because you are constantly generating data um, about what you're clicking on, what you're liking, what you're sharing. And the, the social media companies are then using that data to resell it to other organizations. And they're making the money out of you uh, and, your, and your behaviors. And you, you don't even notice it. And because it's not a you having to hand money over, you feel comfortable with it. It, it, it doesn't feel like it costs. And so the, the whole thing of freedom has been eroded because we've given up our time and effort to use these kind of facilities. So that's where it's interesting you're saying about things like cryptocurrency and blockchain. They are radically different in that with those, you don't need to prove who you are in order to transact. You simply need to prove that you are authorized to do that transaction. 
And that's a subtle but important difference. I remember a couple of years ago, there was a car NCT, or people will know it as MOT. And when I went in to uh, the location, they said, can I have a look at some identification into the premises? And first I pulled out my passport. It says, oh, we can't have a look at that because of, you know, GDPR. And I went, okay. So then I pulled out this card that I had and the card itself was out of date, but my picture is me and my date of birth is me, right? And I gave him that. He says, oh, I can't accept that. I says, why? The card is out of date. I says, the card may be out of date, but my date of birth isn't out of date. And that card is reflecting my date of birth and it's shown who I am. But you're not acknowledging it because the card itself is out of date. And he looked at me. He knew I was right mm-hmm. and he didn't know what to say. Sometimes the problem that we, we come against processes and procedures that people are just executing without any thoughts. I'm going through it at the moment. I've made um, a freedom of information request to an organisation to get a copy of a recording of a phone call I made to them. And it was to do with opening a bank account. And I sent them details and said, I'd like a copy of this recording, please. It's all digital these days. And therefore, under GDPR, I've got a right to obtain a copy of the recording. Um, But because the recording related to somebody else, but that, that somebody else wasn't on the call, the bank is now insisting that I provide them with a copy of that somebody else's identity <laughs> details. It's like, hang on, you're asking me to break GDPR to fulfil your requirements. So you can see that they're just only following the rules type thing. It is not common a good sense. Option. I think. I think it's we are lacking common sense, and people, you know, it's a case of I can't cross the road until the green man flashes or, but you know, there's no cars in, you know, miles. Yep. And it's, it's, I think people need to just kind of go, okay, there's common sense here. It's like going back into the digital currencies and, and blockchain. I was all for it in probably maybe four or five years ago thinking it's great to you know cash brutal. I never use it. I have my card. And, you know, it, it helps me and I don't take money out. I spend less because I'm tapping and it keeps me a budget. So I'm not and I'm terrible if I put 20 euros, 20 pound or dollars in my pocket. When I pull it out, I lose it. So my wife was always giving out to me going, is there any money in your pocket? Give it to me before you go out because it'll end up on the street. And I was going great. But then when it started to drive home and I kind of, Instead of sleepwalking through the whole process, when hang on, if we go a digital currency, that money that I have, someone gets a percentage of it. When the other person gets it, someone takes a percentage of it. There is a tracking mechanism on it as well. So if it's that 50 quid, out of that 50 quid, the person, I'll probably only be sending over to that person 48 i'm mean, using an example and they'll probably only receive 46 and i'm kind of going where's that percentage of the money going it's to do the digital world mm-hmm. and i'm going that's not right because if you think about it when we get paid we then pay tax on it 
the stuff we buy has VAT on it. There's other levies or whatever on it as well. And this is an extra charge that will be built into going down to the shop to buy a carton of milk, you know, or whatever it may be. And I kind of went, no, we, we need to keep, we need to keep this cash in society because if we let it go, we're going to have implications that we never thought we're going to. There are definitely risks. And I often talk about what's known as the Cobra effect. And it's it's law of unintended consequences. That's something you, you do something with good intent, um, but the actual result of it is, is something totally different. It's called the Cobra effect because of the story of, I think it was in Delhi um, many, many years ago in India, they, they had an issue with poisonous snakes in the area. And so the, the solution was to offer a bounty to people to bring in dead cobras. So they, they got them killing cobras. And of course, the problem with any incentive mechanism is that people will always work out how to use it to their advantage. And so some people started breeding cobras in order to be able to kill them off and sell them and make, make more money from the government. So eventually the government realized this was what was going and totally killed off the whole deal upon which all the people who've been breeding cobras said, well, what do I do these? And they threw them out on the streets and therefore they had a worse problem than they started with. So, you know, there is this law of unintended consequences. So we do need to be careful in how we do things. And that's why I think we, we have to do things bit by bit. So cash at the moment, generally around Europe, I think 85% of all transactions are digital in, in some way, but possibly even higher. So we, with COVID restrictions and that, it's dropped down even more, but cash is dying away. And I often hear this description of how it is that with digital money, you know, everyone's taking a slice as it goes through the transactions and that. But they don't think, well, actually, how much does it cost the shop to manage a cash till? You know, that they're having to pay for the management of the cash. They're having to pay for a member of staff to take it to a bank and vice versa and so on. So cash actually isn't as free to use as we think it is. It's just that we don't notice it. And so the shops build in the cost of cash transactions in the price of the goods we buy. So actually, we're still paying a certain amount. It's just that we don't notice it. Now, with a digital world, I'm going to go on the supportive of it for a minute. You can reduce that friction massively. You know, the cost of moving ones and zeros, so the cost of moving digital data, is insignificant. It's hardly anything at all. So actually, if you can do transactions which are at almost zero cost, then actually that's more efficient and cheaper and better for everybody. So I can see the positive of that. The risk, as you say, we start going down the kind of like surveillance state and the why do you need to have a copy of all my transactions or why do you need to know that? But that's a different story. But it's like, as I described with any other technology, we look at the aeroplane. I, I love aeroplanes. And aeroplanes are a form of technology. And if you use them in one way, then they help us all go on holiday to travel around the world or uh, take goods um, and services or, or goods and products and that. Or you can strap bombs onto them and you can kill people. So technology depends who's using it and how it's used. I think it can be used for, for the good of things. 
Yeah, and another example of that is AI. You know, in the wrong hands, it can do massive damage, and in the right hands, it can do great things in the world. And but I also believe that it's free will, and I, f- I believe in free choice. So you were right at eighty-five percent. Now in Ireland, there is a movement because one of the banks sent out saying we we're no longer having cash machines in A, B, and C, and there were, people went, what? And there was a huge movement, and there was boycotting on places that weren't, weren't accepting cash. Um, there's places that were only accepting cash, and there has been like a revivement, you know, that people are now using cash where they can. So the bank shot themselves in the foot. However, in saying that, I believe that we should have two. And for me, it is, it's my free choice as a sovereign human being to be able to accept the digital or to have the cash. And yes, there is a cost element to a shop having it, but there's a cost element for a shop to have everything. You know, I used to look at it years ago, we're going, okay, well, you know, the safety that, you know, a bank robber or a shop robber won't come in and ask for cash and run out the door. And I thought that was the safety element of it. But, you know, mother of invention, (laughs) you know, and people will find a way. And I know there is very intelligent people out there within the crypto space that are already creating digital currencies that will be outside of government regulations when we go digital. Yeah, and that's where we're already seeing that that happening and we're already seeing governments and regulators frantically trying to put in place regulation to uh, manage that situation. And what they've done up till now is quite interesting, that they're not actually regulating the the cryptocurrencies themselves, they're regulating what I describe the on-ramps and the off-ramps. So this is the, if I've got a 50-euro note, how do I convert that into Bitcoin or something? And in order to do that, I usually need to go through a bank. Um, banks are now saying, well, we won't connect you to a crypto exchange because they, they blacklist lots of them. And certainly in some countries, it's getting harder and harder to actually get a bank account where you can actually transact with a, a, a cryptocurrency capability. And that's because the government's putting in things. And again, they're the, the saying things like, oh, this is to do with anti-money laundering and proceeds of crime and all this kind of stuff. But when you actually look at the data, and I, and I always say, I, I do a lot of presentations and lectures around blockchain and crypto and that. And I always open up with big lines of, you know, this is not financial, legal, or criminal advice. Um, because the most popular form of money laundering remains used U.S. dollar bills in a suitcase. Now, everyone thinks that's the, um, you know, the domain of Hollywood and films of airplanes flying around with bags of cash. That actually still happens in places, and it's still the most effective way. But they will argue that that is why you're having to restrict access to crypto, because it's all criminals who are using it. So you're right, there's some clever people who are working out ways of using technology to do stuff. Yeah, and the reason why banks are putting these stipulations in is because they're losing money. 
they feel they're losing transaction, losing money, and they're kind of going, I'm at that level, it's cutthroat. And it's going, well, you know, let's put in a law or a regulation. But do you remember when crypto first kicked off really a couple of years ago? I remember people going to the banks and the bank, no, no, we won't transfer that into your coin or whatever it may be. And people had to go to, is it Northwest or North? What's the, what's the money transaction shops? They have them in the States and all you can transfer money. Um, um, money gram or something like money, that. Yeah. Probably. Something like yeah. these that, that were going in or, and now the banks have got smarter and they've gone and saying, okay, we can do this, but now they're putting tracks on it but someone will come up with something else and there'll be cases where people will not want to be changing money into fiat. They'll be doing transactions among themselves in whatever currency they choose. Yeah. And if you look at Lebanon, Lebanon at the moment, as you know, they've shut down the banks. They've offered people, I think it was 33% on whatever they had in savings, but they were banning people from using cryptocurrency as well in, in Lebanon. So well, this is again, it, it, I was going to quickly say, it's, it's another example of the, the law of unintended consequences. Like governments and regulators put in place controls that are meant to help protect people. What that is people to use, because they're, they're going to do these things anyway. So they wanted the transactions, they are going to do it. And by regulating in a certain way, what then happens is that it means people have to then go to the more dodgy providers. And so in some ways, it increases the risks. Well, then is it a case, okay, honourable agreed. And if you go into the Lebanon, you know, there was people trading the US dollar on the black market because it was more money than their own currency. And they were finding ways around to use cryptocurrencies. So it's inevitable. It is changing. It is happening. I don't think Klaus Schwab and his World Economic Forum gang can stop what they don't want. And on the other side, I don't think the other side, whatever that is, can stop what they're trying to do. I, th I think it does come down to, as you say, people need choices and we need options. I'm one of those people who I don't like it when I only have one option because that's not an option. Yeah, <laughs> um, when something is mandatory, even if I support it, I kind of, it pulls the heckles on the back of my neck because I, I do think we need choice. And that, that's one of the things, it goes back to the standard human thing of you always need choices, options, and this kind of thing. So uh, I think you're right that we, we are going to end up with like the ever more regulated world and the ever more libertarian world. Um, but as long as the two can coexist, that's kind of okay in my mind. It's when one tries to say, well, the other won't exist. That's where you've got this polarization going on and that's where you get conflict and that's where you, you get trouble. Are you struggling to grow your business? Book a free business growth consultation with Joe today. In this consultation, you'll receive professional advice, step-by-step -step guidance that will help you achieve success. Best practices and tips for improving profits. Clicking on the link in the description or contacting us directly. I hope that there's an opportunity for both to exist. Right now, 
crypto just isn't big enough um, in its size. I mean, the market capitalization, so how much money is in crypto, is I think it's around about a trillion dollars, which sounds like a big number. You know, it, it's, uh, it's... You wouldn't um, mind having it in your bank account. Well, <laughs> it, it, exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, but compared to world trade, which is you know multi-trillion daily, hmm. cr- cryptos are, are flying the ointment. It, it's tiny at the moment, but banks and governments are definitely recognizing that it's got the potential to grow. Um, I, I take an interest in crypto, not because of what prices are doing, but I look at how much it's being adopted and accepted and how many people are getting into it. And that keeps growing. And we only need to look at things like um, you were mentioning AI before. So most people probably heard of ChatGPT, which is the latest version of an, an AI that does all sorts of clever things where you ask it questions and it comes back with stuff. The number of subscribers that ChatGPT got was something like 10 million in three months. So in terms of user adoption, that's up an off-the-scale rate. If you think about how many people started buying cars originally when they came out and then how many people bought into you know social media or whatever it, it grew and grew but the, the rate of adoption explodes and so i think banks are realizing that with crypto there is the risk that even though it's only a small thing at the moment it may grow rapidly and they're mindful as well if you look at uh, bitcoin for example bitcoin is probably the best known crypto the paper that describes bitcoin has written into it a comment about its main goal is to provide a means for peer-to-peer transfer of value without an intermediary. And you go, well, what does that mean? And it's like, well, ultimately it means you can pay someone else without going via someone else. So you don't need a bank, you don't need a building society, you don't need any of the, the payments providers, which, which for you and I is brilliant. You know, we're getting rid of the intermediary, so that's a great way of reducing cost. But if you are the intermediary, you're going to feel threatened. And so that, that's why the banks are taking a, a great interest in crypto. And some of them are adopting it themselves. So some of the banks are actually the biggest uh, filers of patents around blockchain and crypto technology because they've realized that this is going to be the future. Yeah, it's like you see the big financial trading houses in Wall Street. An article, you know, crypto dead, don't touch it. And then next week, they're creating their own, you know. So even with themselves, they're very unclear and there's a lot of uncertainty on it as well. But it's interesting that you said it's peer-to-peer and that's what it really is meant to be. It's peer-to-peer without someone dipping into your pocket so it's like me walking down to the shop and buying a, a you know a, a bag of potatoes and as i walk home someone comes along and takes three potatoes out of it <laughs> what was that for oh that was the pleasure of walking up the road <laughs> so normal household do they care i don't think they care and um, most people are interested in Firstly, convenience, and secondly, security. Uh, and I say it in that order because if you say to people, they will just assume that things will be secure, you know, because th- th- this is why we tend to have governments and regulators to make things safe and secure. So you don't even think about that. 
But if you can make something convenient for somebody, they will adopt it. it it's the path of least resistance. Um, and so this is where I've worked in many organizations where they've been implementing things and they've said, how can we force our users to use this? It's like, well, if you're going to use the word force, then you've got a problem already. You want them to want to use it. And people want to use things that simple, easy, quick, effective, uh, and cheap. And you notice I didn't even mention safe, but you know, it, it kind of comes at the end. So I, I, th I think that for normal people, they don't really care. These, these days, everyone's got you know, a, a mobile phone with a banking app on it, or, or a lot of people do. Do they care if that banking app is doing the transaction in euros, in dollars, in Bitcoin? doesn't matter, does it? it it's value transfer. And this is a fascinating thing about money and currencies and all that kind of thing. All they allow is a means of transferring value. You know, I bought something, I paid for it. Do I care what unit of measure you use? You know, I was doing a fair amount of traveling before the lockdowns, and I had a, a payment card that you went into any country and you paid with that card, and you didn't have to worry about whether it was in dirhams, dollars, scudos, or whatever. It just did it for me. Fantastic. I didn't give any thought about that, but that was so convenient, and so I used it. One thing I've I've noticed that there's a younger generation who now have it on their phone, and they go everywhere and they tap their phone, and you know there was one case of people they were on holidays and their phone broke, and they didn't have any cards, so they had to come home early. Yep, and I'm kind of going. You know, or you have people out in, you know, people in their twenties are in out having fun in the city, and they're hitting a nightclub, and the battery runs out on their phone. It's over for them. They, the night is over. They can't spend any more money, and they go home. Yeah. Uh, have, you, they, have you ever have you ever lost a wallet? Yeah, and it's the same as losing yeah. a wallet. But you're kind of going. You're depending on electricity in a way. Yeah. Your own to do this where if you just have your card and i'm kind of so, going it's it's we've we've come a society that people are and i'm showing my phone that the people who can't see me um that we're depending on this digital plate to be able to survive and live yeah, which is completely wrong. So let, let, let's extend that a bit further for a minute and, and get people either excited or really worried. Because you, you're right, everyone's got a mobile phone these days, or you know, most people have mobile phones. I know that's wrong to make such an assumption. And you're right that if the mobile phone becomes unavailable, you can't pay for things. You can't prove your idea in that. What's the one thing that you do carry around with you that can be used to validate your identity? It's your face. You've always yeah. got your face, okay? So there has been some... I was going to say fingerprint, but yeah, face. <laughs> well, well, yeah, but f f face is even better than fingerprints, but put them together is really, really good. So there's been some work being done in England, in the, in the north of England, with some chain stores, 
around using facial recognition software mm. for payments. And again, this is one of those things that you go, well, actually, if I just look into a camera and it can work out who I am and it can automatically do a balance transfer, then if I've lost my phone, it doesn't matter anymore. How simple and easy is that? It's absolutely you know, fantastic from a convenience point of view. But from a dystopian point of view, those of us who are a little bit older, the alarm bells start going off quite rapidly there because we can see what the next thing is from that. The next thing, we only need to look at what happens in China now, where they've got mass surveillance for monitoring and tracking people. They've linked that into what's called the SRI system, which is the Social Responsibility Index, I think it is, where they, they can track people, they can identify them, they're doing facial payments already. But what you can now do with the system, I believe, is that they can stop people from being able to buy and sell things. Because obviously, if, you, if you're linked into a central system where your face is your identity, then they can say, well, you're a bad guy. We're not going to let you do something. Again, there's kind of good stuff about that. They go, wow, that, that's really impressive. But if the government decides what bad is, and bad might simply be, um, I spoke to Joe on this subversive program, then I get a black mark, and now I, I'm not allowed to spend any money. So, again, there's two sides to coin here, and it's I, I, I fear at times Orwell was – George Orwell got the ideas right. He just got the dates wrong um, because it does feel as we've walked into that world. Yeah, and, it's, you know, looking at that world, with China they have quantum a quantum computer – that basically ties everyone up and if you cross the road and you're jaywalking you get that mark um and so it, it feeds into your social credits mm -hmm. and you can even see there's even some language coming out here to help businesses and it's about you know, how companies can be better and sustainability. And when you read the language, it's actually, when you're reading it, it's the people that are introducing this and talking about it, it's World Economic Forum language, but it's also social credits and people don't realize this and people are going, oh yeah, and you get credits toward this in your revenue. And, and I go, that's, that's basically <laughs> your that's really not good. Yep. And if you talk to people about it, they'll say, oh, that's, a, that's conspiracy. But it's not. It's reality that you could be going down a route that if you're not a good boy, whoever makes those rules up, you will be penalized. And the, the, yeah, I, well, I was going to quick, quickly say that yeah, the, the definition I heard recently of a conspiracy theorist is someone who knows the truth six months before the rest. Yeah. And, and it, it does at times kind of turn out that way. So you're right that there is about to be another currency and people don't realise that it's even going to exist. And that, that currency is carbon credits. And this whole thing, exactly as you say, if you look at companies' annual reports, if you look in their plans, if you look in government things, it's all about reducing our carbon footprint. And you go, well, what, what do you mean by that? And this is where already companies are now having to calculate what the equivalent carbon 
use is of, you know, a, a flight or purchase or whatever. Well, again, law of unintended consequences, once you start capturing that, you can put a price on it. And again, the noble principle about that is that you can incentivize people to behave in ways that are environmentally friendly. Or the dystopian way is that you use it as a mechanism to say, no, you, you can't go on holiday this year because you've already used your carbon allowance. That brings up where they're introducing 15-minute cities. Like in, I've seen an article in one of the cities, I think it's in Nottingham or Norwich, want to break the city into four or five different regions and then be known be able to you know, commute or travel among in, in certain parts. And you're looking at these and going, you know, people, they're not really understanding that they're building their own prison around them. And in fact, Oxford is one of the places where that's happening. And Oxford, some, yes. It's, yeah, yeah, and, that's, and, yeah. And there's some big protests happening because people are beginning to wake up to the whole thing of, Actually, you know, you're saying this is to provide an ultra-low emission zone. What it's actually doing is controlling things. So in the UK, they're introducing all sorts of things. As you say, there's, there's several of these 15-minute schemes. There's also talk about reducing the speed limits even more so that the speed limit might be 20 miles an hour, which all of a sudden, that means you can't go very far anyway. Um, so, again, you, you can see where these things could, could lead to quite dark places. And ultimately, again, COBRA effect, law of unintended consequences, it might actually be that something that is being done with ostensibly good intent actually has a dramatically bad effect. So I'm a believer that we need to reduce pollution, but I don't believe that carbon is pollution. And so... Why are we even looking at reducing carbon? Yeah, if you look at like where we're made of carbon and if you want to really reduce it, get rid of us. <laughs> and, that, and I believe there's multinationals buying up farmland in Ireland to plant forests and then to use that forest as part of their corporate identity to offset the carbon that they're going to build within their organization of producing something. Yep. So it's the man, woman in the street that will have to pay a fee. But it's also, you're dead right, it isn't about carbon, it's pollution. But nobody is talking about it. No one is saying, how do we reduce pollution? Because if you start looking at pollution, it's then focusing on the big organizations that are making X amount, billions, that are causing the pollution and not man, woman in the street. And it, it's something I, I always urge caution when people talk about net zero, because net means that you're actually subtracting one number from another in order to come up to zero. So that means actually exactly as you say, if you're a big company and you buy a forest, you can now use that to offset all the pollution you're generating. So you've now no need financially to reduce your pollution. So it's not, solve, it's not solving the pollution problem. This is where I, I said ages ago, 
it, around London, the, the London mayor introduced a low pollution zone and, and they're now extending it. It's the ULES, so the ultra, I think it's the ultra low emission zone where it's very expensive to go into town. If you want to reduce your pollution from cars, just ban them. But you don't because you're using them as a form of revenue. You're, you're taxing them instead. So I think at times we're, we're looking at doing things the wrong way. Well, the EU came out and said they want to ban car, petrol and diesel cars by 2035. And these are th- sometimes you think, do people just speak these words without actually thinking? And you're going, okay, so you want to do that. So what are you going to use to fuel the factories? You know, what are you, so you're going to ban cars, but you're still, they said that, oh, we still will be using this in manufacturing and we'll still be using it in our private jets and we'll still be using it in all this. The only thing we're just going to stop cars, you driving your petrol or diesel car. And you know, like it's nonsense. It's, it's, it's someone in Europe with a strike of a pen goes, yes, it's now law. And they're going, hang on. People need to understand that it's civil servants, which means they are a servant to the people, not they are above the people and tell the people what to do. The people are above them. So it's man, woman, system civil servants this is the way it should go not the other way around but i think people forget that i i think it comes back to it's interesting elon musk was being interviewed the other day about uh, how do we need to educate our children differently and instead of him saying things like i'll oh, teach them how to program computers whatever he said teach them critical thinking teach them the ability to question and to question the answers that they get so you take a look at, as you say, that the the, um, the EU mandate that uh, petrol cars won't be available for sale from 2035. I, I used to work in the oil trading industry. And one of the things that people don't seem to realise about oil is petrol is almost a byproduct that, that you get. So you extract a barrel of oil, and from that barrel of oil, the majority of it's going to use for crude oil. So you're going to use that for powering you know, your power stations, your ships, this kind of thing. Then you've got light oil, so you might use that for lubrications. You've got kerosene for aeroplanes. So a barrel of oil, once you refine it and everything, you get a whole range of different products out of it. And petrol is not one of the primary products. It's kind of like a... Byproduct. Yeah, that's right. So what are they going to start doing with all this byproduct that no one's consuming anymore. What are they going to do? They're just going to burn it off like they do with gas? You know, we don't know. So it's one of these things that unless they're actually going to reduce crude oil consumption, then there's no point reducing petrol. So it's, again, I think society is being driven down a certain direction without a little bit of critical thinking around that. You know, I teach my children to be critical thinkers and to this point when they say something and I say, because I say so, well, you're telling me to question you, question everything, so I'm questioning you. And I go, oh. yeah. But yeah. I think it, what's going on, it's theatre. I think it's it's a play on stage saying what wants to be said and everyone rallying around, you know, 
you could say saving the planet and causing fear without actually looking at okay how do we really save the planet you're saying this get rid of this get rid of coal get rid of that smoking but okay what's behind that and i think it's there's a a play on words there's a play on laws um i think it's it's control um you know i i the man woman in the street are the ones that are going to be affected and other people are going to make more money out of it and i think people need to wise up in a way and go okay these rules regulations are coming on board but i need to question them because everybody's taking everything at face value everyone's believing everybody's word and and you said it there that you know a minute ago is that you know if we don't do this if we don't question it we're as you said they're they're, they're going to we're going to give up an awful lot and yeah. then and, and it, it comes down as well that i'm always nervous of any regulational legislation that is preventative in nature Anything that bans something or prevents something, and unless there's a really strong argument for it, then I don't think we should generally ban things. Regulation and legislation should be enabling. It should be allowing you to do what you want to do, not stopping you from doing it. And anything that um, either prevents you from doing something or offers a financial incentive for you to behave differently I always get cautious about. So years ago, there was the EU subsidies on uh, wind farms. You know, and so there was massive amounts of money being ploughed in that you could get government aid if you had a wind farm. And so as a result, you know, people chop, chop forests down um, to put wind farms because they got the grant aid. Well, anything that is good should not need a subsidy. It, it should naturally just be beneficial in some way. So I'm always suspicious of anything where there are financial incentives to do something or financial disincentives to not do something. If it's a law, it's because they want you to do it. And I always love the way if they want something and if you don't do it, they find people and they create big fines because people know if it hits them in the pocket, it'll hurt them the most. So they use this stick to beat people with. Carrot and stick's fine as long as it gets some carrots sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Or it's it's so, the stick is so far that you'll never get the carrot. Yeah. The the question I have, where do you think it's all going? Or is there, you know, the bell's curve? Is there more and more people becoming conscious to ask the right questions? So where do you think it's all going, good or bad? Yeah, so so we look at how technology gets adopted, and, and ultimately that's what we're talking about. It's it's about the adoption of technology in various forms, whether that's technology to enable money and payments, that kind of whatever. Technology tends to follow a certain trajectory, in that it always takes longer than we expect it to to get into place, but then it has a bigger difference. It, it makes a bigger impact. So we look at the internet. The internet's probably about fifty years old now. Um, it, it compared to ARPANET and how it was originally, it's taken 50 years for it to really start transforming how we do things and how businesses operate. So I think we're going to see more and more of this stuff coming along, but we're not going to see it make that much of a difference yet. 
And then suddenly we'll wake up one day and it'll be a different world. Uh, I really do think things will happen quickly. And it, it came home to me a while ago. Uh, somebody said to me, if you think that the world is getting faster and faster every day at the moment, then that means that today is the slowest it's ever going to be for the rest of your life. And that, that kind of, yeah, the, the, for, for, the, for the audience, I can see this facial expression of concern from Joe here. Um, uh, and yeah, it, it's quite a mind-provoking thought there. That it really does mean that the world is going to get faster and faster. So today is the slowest it's going to be. So the whole idea of stop the world I want to get off is absolutely valid. And this is where we need to start thinking about you know, the impact on people's lives, mental health, a, a far broader range of things. So in terms of where do I think it's going to go, I don't think it's going to have as much of an impact as we think it will for a while. But then something's going to happen suddenly, a little bit like uh, we were mentioning ChatGPT, the new AI facility earlier on. You know that, that, that kind of appeared from nowhere almost overnight, or it appeared to. It had actually been in development for several years. And already companies are beginning to use it without actually knowing how it works or what it does. But they're using it to write scripts, to write videos, all this kind of thing. So I, I think my, my suggestion is that things aren't going to change too radically, but then they're going to suddenly radically change. And that's where you carry the risk of when people abruptly change, that's where you get conflict and disagreements and that kind of thing. That's where that's going to have to be managed very carefully. I think with AI, it's like drones killed helicopter pilots. And I think AI is going to really do damage to the copyright industry. And the only real, true, authentic stories that will be written are people writing their own stories about their own experiences about, and they will be the authentic and everything else will just be, you know, like just more information dumped on the internet every day than there was you know over a 40 year period that was written or so i think it's moving quickly however i do believe that there is a shift and i think arrogance will be the downfall of governments you could call it or you know globalists whoever mm like the French Revolution or the Russian Revolution, yeah. you know? Again, that, this is the thing. It, it carries the risk of ending in conflict, and governments generally like conflict that they're not in control of. They like it where they are. But, yeah, the, the whole thing around authenticity is a, a subject of its own right about you know, um, the creative industries, whether that's writing or video or whatever, um, are about to be quite heavily hit by AI. So I'm, al I'm already seeing some Hollywood film studios who are using AI to make Harrison Ford, who I think is now 80, uh, look like his younger self for the next film or something. And, and it's incredible. And you can't tell that, that it's fake. It, it, it does look like they've pulled out old video footage. Right? So authenticity is going to be interesting of how do we prove that something is authentic in general. Because you can get AI to write a fictional story now as though it is you know, a, an 80-year-old who lived through the Second World War, who experienced blah, blah, blah. I could all be a totally imagined thing, and there's no way of knowing. It's like you can see digital 
work out there where they're pretending to be Obama or pretends to be someone and the guys talk and then you see the image of the president talking in his voice. So I think, again, don't look at everything at face value, question everything. And if you really are unsure, I think it's about using your intuition and your gut feeling to guide you. I, th- I think Ronald Reagan used a, a, f- a phrase when he was doing the nuclear arms um, talks, which is trust but verify. And what was interesting about that was it was actually from a Russian phrase, it, a Russian folklore type of thing that effectively comes out as trust but verify. These days, I'll go even further and say don't particularly trust but definitely verify. I have learned over the last couple of years, Gary, that the forest will give us everything and will provide everything else is just theatre. Yep. <laughs> yeah, not. I think our conversation will, will need to be to reconnect again. Um, but tell me, if someone wants to reach out to you or someone wants to connect with you, where can they find you, Gary? The, the easiest way is just go on to whatever your favourite search engine is and type in Gary Nuttall Emerging Technology and I usually fill the first page and you can get in touch via LinkedIn, email, it all appears on the web from there. So that's the easiest way. The easiest way. And yeah, it's, I think we haven't even touched on blockchain. That's the thing. <laughs> we said we'd meander to wherever we were going, but we have on it. Uh, a topic for another day. Another day. Gary, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Pleasure.